and worship are separate. You work throughout the week and worship on Sunday, but this isn't the biblical view of work. The Hebrew word avodah is translated into English as worship, serve, and work. The Hebrew concept of worship was all-encompassing. It wasn't just a Sabbath thing. We've asked several people in our congregation, none of whom work in ministry, to think about how their lives mean more and how their work and worship are woven together. Well, welcome back to the podcast. I'm so excited today to be with Ryan Bader, um, who is a physician assistant um, in the community. Um, so Ryan, tell us a little bit about how you got into being a PA, um, but also what you do on a daily basis. Okay. Well, how I got into it, uh, it was late in life. I was a minister for 16 years, so in my late 30s. Uh, not out of any dissatisfaction with what I was doing, just out of a sense of being ready for something different. I went back to school, uh, did all my science learning, and then went to PA school at Milligan. Uh, so that's, I, I had always been interested in that sort of thing, even before I went into ministry, coming out of high school. Before I wanted to do ministry, I thought maybe I would do sports medicine or athletic training or something like that. So I'd always sort of had a latent interest in medicine. So the timing of my feeling like I was ready for something new, coupled with the opportunity that Milligan afforded to you know, do a PA program, uh, was sort of perfectly timed. Uh, they matched up. And yeah, just went for it. And that's how I got into it. As far as what I do, uh, I work in primary care. So family medicine is our practice, which means I care for uh, people of all ages, um, you know, birth to grave. I would say my population tends to be more middle-aged folks. So 40s, 50s. Uh, some 20s and 30s and a few retirees, but mostly what I do is manage chronic disease. So diabetes, hypertension, uh, I, I manage a lot of anxiety and depression as well. Sure. So it's, you know, it's very relational what we do. It's again, it's not a thing where you step in, help someone in a crisis, and then never see them again. It's more building the relationship over time, which I think is what drew me to that particular field of medicine. But yeah, that's what I do. So building relationships with people obviously is going to sometimes come with conflict and, and you know, your doctor telling people what they should and shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you How do you manage things like that? Yeah, I, I don't know that I've ever had any explicit conflict there's definitely times when patients have a different idea of what's best for them than you have Uh, for me at least it's never manifested in anything heated but i guess listening is an important part of that Hmm. Uh, allowing people to tell you why they think what they think and why they might have an idea of what would be good for them but also being prepared to not just express, you know, I, I try not to deal too much in opinions. And so not, not necessarily expressing my opinion, but making the case for why there might be a better course for them to charge. Um, 
you know, what's interesting and challenging in primary care is for years and years and years, the kind of things that we manage, i.e. hypertension, diabetes, is really not a thing that makes people feel very bad. Yeah. Um, so you're trying to make a case that what you're recommending is really important, but there's an unseen component to it that you have to convince people of and, and help them understand. And then there's also just the challenge. I, I think the thing I've learned in the last little bit of working and is how important the emotional component of these kind of diseases can be. Mm-hmm. You know, when you when you study this in school, it's always simple. You know, when somebody becomes a new diabetic, these are the medicines you start them on, and these are the tests that you have to run. And you don't really account for what a psychological burden that is to someone first just to be told hey you have diabetes that's that's a pretty big blow i think to a lot of people's pride and their psyche and just you know nobody ever wants to end up in that state so accounting for that in their care i think is an important thing especially when it comes you know to go back to your question about conflict i think one way to avoid conflict is to to account for that and not overwhelm people because there is so much to do to manage chronic disease. It would be easy just to lay that out and say, well, here's the 14 things that now have to happen. And then they just say, well, it's too much. I'm not, I'm not gonna be 14, so I'm not going to even start with one. So yeah. I've tried to take a stepwise approach to doing, to managing those sorts of things. And which requires on my end, really keeping a, my eye on the ball Mm-hmm. And having a plan for both what's going to happen in the present moment, but then what needs to happen again in three months. Yeah. That takes some effort. I mean, it's the kind of effort I like to make, but, um, but it's, yeah, but it's an effort. Yeah. Well, and I can imagine, and, and I know this from my own life, that the psychological burden is, is definitely there. So is the financial burden for a lot of yeah, people. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's a good um, point. And that's, that's a whole nother component to what you do that doesn't even involve, you know, face-to-face interaction and, and maybe not something you see on a, on an every case basis, but definitely something that can play into the way your patients are going to feel um, yeah. when and, they walk into your office. Yeah. And that one's one I, I do try to be cognizant of. I think it helps that I was a healthcare consumer before I was a healthcare provider because I was super cognizant of that. Mm-hmm. I would go to the doctor when my kids would go to the doctor. Uh, but as far as now, yeah, it's important to, because so much of it is out of my hands. I, yeah. I can see what kind of an insurance carrier the, the folks have, which might give me a little bit of an idea of how burdensome this will be to them, but not exactly. Sure. And sometimes you only find out after the fact yeah. that you know, if you do everything, if they do everything you tell them to do, it's going to bankrupt them. So how does how does being a Christian play into the way that you walk into the office and the way that you deal with your patients? For me, it's all sort of beneath the surface. I'm not a, I've never been, what should I say, boisterous, vocal. I've always sort of adhered to the St. Francis of Assisi model, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Yeah. And I, I will always try to find a way to not use words because that tends to be my personality. Beth would tell you that. So we already mentioned it, but listening well mm-hmm. is 
one I enjoy. Those are my favorite parts of the day or, or patient encounters where I feel like they were, they were heard, but they also listened. Yeah. Really engaged. And I don't know if this one is as common. I, I think just being honest too is a way both about what you know and what you don't know. Um, I think there's a, I, I feel this tendency. I think there's a tendency in healthcare, especially to deal in absolutes and to, mm. to make definitive diagnoses. And I don't know what percentage of time, but I'd say a decent percentage of the time, it's not evident what's yeah. going on. I think, you know, people want to know what's going on, but I think they also want people who are honest if it's not clear. Yeah. So I, I try to be, I try to always use the language of probability and most likely, and, and it seems to be, uh, and always leave open the possibility that it might be something else. You came from a ministry setting. And so I'm, I'm very curious how you see worship weaving into what you did before, as well as you see how it weaves into what you do now. Yeah. Well, it's probably pretty easy before because I was a worship minister, <laughs> but I get the question too, that it's not just what you know you do that's directly related to that. And I don't think in my mind, I'm always using that sort of language when I think mm-hmm. about my work, but I, but I understand, you know, if we take worship in the broadest sense of the word, that it makes a lot of sense that things like preparedness and listening and empathy are all expressions of worship so you know it's not a thing i am cognizant of every day at least in terms of me saying to myself i'm worshiping when i do this yeah i I do take seriously my responsibility to to do all those things uh, to i guess embody a posture of worship it's not a front of mind thing for me but Upon reflection, I hope at least to be able to see ways that a day I spent doing my job could be an expression of worship. Yeah. Our our fall focus has been on our statement um, of life means more and, and the five things that go around that. How do you see those words being incorporated into what you do on a daily basis? Um well, from everything I've said, I guess being ordered comes to mind first. Yeah. Um, and I know when our class reflected on that, the, the most valuable reflection was that being, was the relationship between being ordered and being creative, being prepared, being ordered, having, having your ducks in a row, so, so to speak, is what sort of births creativity. I don't really think about medicine in a creative sense, but there is an art to it. Yeah. Um, yeah, There is a, a a lot of it does come down to, okay, here's the, here's the diagnostic criteria. Here's the first line, second line medicine. Here's the differential diagnosis. But 
again, how is that implemented and how is that carried out and how is that communicated in a way that people understand it and people will feel compelled to adhere to the guidance you're giving them? I guess that's a creative part of it. Yeah. And I don't think I can do that well unless I've again prepared and, and yeah. have a good approach to it. The other ones, I mean, loving, just being, being loving to people, especially the people that are kind of jerks to you. Um, I don't, I don't think, you know, 90% of my encounters in a day are, are enjoyable to me. They're, I, I, I like talking to the people. I like being around them. And then the 10% are where you have to, you know, really exercise that muscle. It's, yeah. It's easy to love those that love you back. Yeah. So just again, in those in those circumstances, enduring some difference of opinion, I think, is a way to love people. Um, you know, being patient with obstinance is a way to love people, and and also not letting that spill over into the way you treat, you know, others. Yeah. Whom you might see later. I try to be cognizant of that because I can feel myself getting run down I can feel myself getting tired in a day and kind of starting to think well I may just mail in these last three and you know not stick to that ordered approach and not be as uh, cognizant of what their needs are and certainly there are days I probably do do that Mm -hmm. Um, so just trying to minimize that impulse as much as possible yeah, one, one person can really threaten to derail your day and yeah, but it's up to you ultimately I guess if that's going to happen yeah I, I think that goes from the patient side too you know we we need to walk in to appointments whether it's to our primary care or to a specialist or to you know an orthopedic doc that you saw in the OR last you mm-hmm. know walking in with an attitude of being ordered, being um, somebody who who lives out what we hear preached on Sunday morning on Monday morning. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's really the the attitude we're trying to adopt through this podcast and through our focus statement um, that life means more, not just on Sunday morning, but on Monday morning too. Mm-hmm. Um, are there ways that you think, as you've reflected upon this, you can do better at, at living out life means more and at, at living out your faith? I'm sure there are, yeah. In fact, I'm, I'm probably hyper aware of the ways I fall short. Yeah, I, most of us are. Yeah. I, it's probably back to what I was just talking about it. The work I've done before this was always done sort of on my terms, hmm. uh, which is to say, you know, the, the church work I did, I it usually started and stopped with me. So, yeah, I had a sense at a particular time of the day I was kind of feeling I was kind of over it. You know, I just put it aside, get it done the next day. Usually, I, there weren't. I mean, there were always hard, fast deadlines, but if you're prepared enough, you build in some time to, you know, not have to burn the midnight oil to get whatever work done it's a little different in this one you know you come to work every day with a schedule of patients you've got to see so if on patient 14 you're over it and you still have 15 16 17 to come those are probably the days when i fall short is when i let those days Mm -hmm. 
affect my approach, affect my empathy, and affect my effort. So that, that's been a bit of a learning curve for me. I, I think most of us could say that of a day, that, that the yeah. days are, are long sometimes. And uh, for me, one student can nix right. the rest of the day. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. and that's hard. Um, but that's where I think, and, and you mentioned, you know, exercising the muscle of, of patience and of, of empathy and, you know, unfortunately we can't practice those muscles and unless they come to mm-hmm. fruition, unless we're put in situations where they're necessary. Um, and I'm, I'm appreciative of the ways in which you and others in the healthcare field are, are putting that into practice um, every day. You mentioned it a little bit that your colleagues are, are people who help you um, set up a good work-life balance, but also a good, um, I don't want to call it a faith-life balance because that's the opposite of what we try to do. Um, when you find yourself getting run down and, and getting to the point where you don't feel that work is worship, who do you go to? What, what do you do? I do have a, I do have a supervising physician, um, Guy Robbins. He's probably the one I go to the most. I, I trained under him. So I feel very comfortable asking him questions. And I think his approach too, in terms of, work is worship and you know your job is a manifestation of your faith they're also pretty similar which is to say you know he expresses it through his competence and expresses it through his concern and expresses it through his patience with people Um, it's not a thing he trumpets or wears a badge for or it makes it a point to express to every person uh, that he meets at least in the direct approach. I'm glad you have somebody like that because not everyone does. Um, It's, it's a blessing. Why do you think it's so hard for most of us? And I, I, I think I say that with confidence that most of us find it difficult to incorporate our faith into what we do every day. Why do you think it's so difficult? Well, for me, part of it comes from me being cognizant of the fact that a lot of people I encounter don't share my faith. Mm-hmm. And again, it's not a, I've never felt a compulsion to sort of ramrod anyone who may be coming from with, with a totally different worldview. So that's part of it for me. I think there's also just, in spite of what we're taught, most people still do exist with that dichotomy of Mm -hmm. Sundays and weekdays where we think maybe the two don't intertwine. Um, I I hope that's not the case for me. I certainly, I'm aware of that. I'm, you know, I'm aware of that false dichotomy. So I don't, if, if that's if that's the case for me, it's I'm blind to it, I guess. For me, it's it's probably more of a conscious decision that I'm going to listen first and not be 
quite as pushy about the worldview I espouse. Yeah. Uh, without at least figuring out what another person's perspective is. Yeah. Both occasions do present themselves where, where maybe, it, especially, you know, when you're dealing with mental health, when it turns to matters of faith and I'll generally ask first before I assume anything and say, well, do you have a church? Do you have a faith? Do you have uh, you know, practices of, um, you know, spiritual practices that have helped you in the past? And if they do, then, you know, that for me is the invitation to go down that road and uh, incorporate that into it. Otherwise, for me, it's more subtle. It's just yeah. more maybe inserting some of those ideas and inserting some of those sort of spiritual practices into my advice for someone you know, without being overt. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate the way that you live your faith out um, in what you do and, um, and the fact that you're willing to share that with, with everyone around you uh, is I'm, I'm just grateful for it. Thanks. Is there anything you would add to our conversation today that we haven't talked about? I guess just that, you know, when I was a worship minister, we, you know, there's always the tendency, and I don't think this is anyone's, certainly a grand view, I don't think anyone teaches this or espouses this, but I still think there's a tendency to think of worship as always accompanied by an instrument, you know, always, we're always something that we do in a gathered space. And I was always very cognizant of the fact that if that were the case, a lot of people were going to be really unhappy because I always knew that the singing part of a church service was always their least favorite part. <laughs> so I think that's, it's worthwhile to always be reminded of that, that all of them, I, you know, whether it's, music or competence at your job are equal expressions of uh, this thing that we call worship. So I think fleshing that out the way you are is, is, a, is a great uh, a great gift to people who still might be, you know, adherent to that model that it's always what happens in the sanctuary and you know, to be frank, they don't always like what happens in the sanctuary. So that, you know, that can be a detriment, I would think, to their, uh, to the living out of their faith. If, if they're thinking worship is doing all those things I really don't like doing. Yeah. I'm reminded of a kid in my youth group years and years ago who, he's a real faithful attender, but boy, he hated like youth group, he hated, you know, he wasn't much of a, he didn't like to sing, he didn't really like to listen to me teach. And, uh, you know, most of the things we did when we gathered on a Wednesday night just were not his cup of tea. And I remember being on a trip home from a youth missions trip that he was on and the air conditioning in the van went out. And I didn't know the first thing about fixing that. I just figured we were either gonna have to suck it up and make it home in our own puddle of sweat or stop at a shop and get it taken care of. And he said, well, just pull in here to this auto store. I'll know what to do. And, and it's like a 16 year old kid. And sure enough, he did. He knew what to buy, knew where it went, knew what cap had to be loosened, knew where to pour the coolants and 
we were up and running in like 10 minutes. And I, I later on a Wednesday night when he was there, made a point of embarrassing him by saying, you know, that, that's an expression of worship. When, mm. you know, when you use the gifts you have to make other people's lives better, in that case, in a very tangible way, because it would have been miserable. Um, and this is you know, what worship is. So, yeah. It came to my mind just now. Yeah. Well, Ryan, thank you for taking the time to talk with me today and um, to, to give me some examples of, of the way that you have and still do um, keep worship as front of mind. Um, I'm grateful for that. Um, my son is telling me right now that it's time to, time to go. Yeah. <laughs> do my, something our, else. A little puppy just pulled the house plant down. So <laughs> we're both on cue. <laughs> well, Ryan, thank you. Um, and I appreciate the way that you live your, your faith out every day. Um, not just on Sundays. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks.